This podcast is a presentation of Faith Assembly of God, where our mission is to connect people with Christ and to experience life. Get more information online at faithishere.org to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 11 a.m. Thank you for making this podcast a part of your week. Good morning. Uh, you guys are in for a special treat. How many of you have one of those friends who maybe a, a long-distance friend who at any point in, you can just pick up and, and call them and you just pick up right where you left off? And, and I have a friend uh, in that with Jesse Watson, and, and he's just a, he's a friend of mine. We were college roommates. Uh, God has done an amazing thing in him over the past eight years. He's been in youth ministry. Uh, he is now the youth pastor for one of the largest churches in the country at Tommy Barnett's in Phoenix First, and he is their youth minister. And we are privileged to have him here this morning. He's my friend. I want you to give him a warm South Carolina welcome for Jesse Watson as he comes and brings the word. Good morning. Can you hear me? Am I on? Is this thing on? It is on. Ten years ago, I was a 22-year-old young buck from Memphis, Tennessee, and I rolled in here for a summer of an, for an internship and probably the best summer of my life. I remember there's some things that are a little bit different. Um, I remember that uh, pastor, I think his chairs were over here, and we would sit up here every Sunday morning, and we would wear a suit every Sunday morning. I think at that time I only had one suit, and so I had to be creative every week to make it look like I, you know, had some variety. Uh, The truth is I didn't. Um, But I remember the very first day coming into the office, and I stayed at pastor's home, and, and, uh, you know, came down the stairs, and I was wearing t-shirt and jeans, and uh, pastor took one look at me, and he said, nope, we don't wear that to the office. So he sent me back up to my room, and I found a pair of khakis and a button-down, and Came in looking professional. Uh, today, 10 years later, it's nice to see Pastor wearing jeans on a Sunday morning. <laughs> Makes me feel comfortable. Very good. As, um, as Pastor Jason said, I am from Phoenix, Arizona. It's 115 there today. Um, it's a dry heat, though, so you can... Whether it here is, I stepped off the plane and immediately I just felt this condensation beginning on my forehead. And, and, uh, but I love the South. I love being here. And um, my wife of nine years, her name is Sarah. She sends her greetings. And my two young men of God, Halen, who is five and Noble, three, uh, they all say hello. So, uh, first things first, I am a youth communicator. So I may say some things this morning that may put you on edge. It's just my youthiness coming out, so please forgive me in advance. I may even uh, feel most comfortable if some of you start texting a little bit in service, or if you get up and leave service to use the bathroom multiple times, I would feel right at home. And if I correct any of you and, and ask you to stop distracting your neighbor, it just is probably a reaction So just kind of go with it, okay? All right, let's pray, and then we're going to get to the Word of God. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for today. Lord, we thank you that we get to be a part of this incredible plan that you are unfolding. Lord, thank you that you have faith in us to be a part of that, to be used in that. Lord, I pray that this morning you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds, and God, that you would deliver the truth into our hearts, God, that you would challenge us, that you would take us to the next place in our relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
Not too long ago, I had an encounter with a side of my manhood that I'm not quite too familiar with. Don't get me wrong, I am man and man through and through, but I am not a handyman. God did not give me the gifting of handiness. And so if something needed to be fixed in my house, my wife takes care of it. If if a picture needs to be hung, she's on it. If cabinets need to be fixed, she's there. If the washing machine breaks, she's on top of it. She does all of it. Now, if you need somebody to change a light bulb, I can do that like nobody's business. But when it comes to fixing something, you don't want me anywhere near it. Trust me. A couple of weeks ago, I found myself... Uh, driving down the highway and, and all of a sudden I realized that I had a flat tire. And ironically, my wife wasn't with me. <laughs> so I navigated my way into a gas station and had to use some NASCAR-like skills to get there. I was kind of nervous about what was going to happen. And, and, and there I was in this dark back alley of a gas station, and I was a little intimidated because I didn't know what to do next. And so I, I, I kind of flipped through the instruction manual or, and I thought, man, I'll never be able to change this tire. I've never done this before. This is going to just be horrible. So I called, pulled out my insurance card, and I thought, well, maybe I could just call you know, a tow service. And it's, a, it's about 11 o'clock at night, and so I, I pulled out my phone, and I actually called him. I got a quote, and pastor taught me to be thrifty when I was here. And so I decided that I would never uh, pay $50 for them to come out and change my tire. And so I had a decision to make. Should I attempt to do something that I've never done before, or do I do what I've always done? And something on the inside of me resisted the notion of familiarity. And so I took out that vehicle's owner manual, and I... Coupled it with my expertise in reading, which my mom says I learned at a very young age. And I, I, I took out the jack, and before I knew it, a whole new side of my manhood was unleashed. 45 minutes later, I had changed my first flat tire. It was 45 minutes. Later. I looked down at my hands and they were dirtier than they had ever been before. And I felt this strange sense of accomplishment. And I just remember like on the inside, you know, like sometimes there, there are times when you are um, on the outside, you're very calm and you're reserved and you're, you're, you're steadfast. But on the inside, you're like, yes, you know, I am a new man. And so I was a new man that evening and I remember I finally got home. It was probably 1230 or one. And I and I, you know, laid down next to Sarah. She was already asleep and she started to kind of wake up a little bit. And she's like, where where have you been? And I'm getting into bed and I'm just like, well, honey, I'm just I was doing man stuff, you know, just man stuff. You you, you probably wouldn't know anything about about that. But, uh, you know, I just changed the tire and, you know, just just man stuff. And I said, you know, honey, I said, you are quite the lucky woman (laughs) to have a man as manly as I am. You know that, right? And I looked over and she was asleep. So, but when it comes to stretching, when true stretching takes place, that which has been stretched rarely returns to its original shape. 
And in the context of your ability to lead, or should I say your availability to lead, you, uh, or excuse me, your availability to be stretched by God will always determine how effective you are for God. This morning, I want to talk to you just very quickly about this priority that God has placed on the church to lead. So many times is I think that as we come to church, we look at the person on stage or we look at the worship team or we look at the the leaders in the church and and we feel like they're separated from us or they're different from us. And the truth is, is God has called us all to lead. His church is to be the leaders of this world. We're supposed to rise up and to take charge and to, to go to new places, places that no one else has been before. And we're supposed to take people with us. And so if that's the case, we must understand what it truly means to lead. And we've got to embrace this calling of leadership on our life. I don't care if you're a junior higher, a high schooler, a a middle-aged person, an older person, or as I like to say, a seasoned individual. You are called to lead. And so what does that look like in the life of a believer? God calls us to be stretched, to take us out of our comfort zones. And you see, allowing God to stretch you is a very healthy part of our Christianity. What happens when true stretching takes place? Well, for some of us, it can be a little painful, can be a little difficult. Sometimes it's, 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 it's just not easy. It can, it can kind of put us in positions that we aren't quite used to. And what we've got to understand is that is normal. Growth is often painful. Just ask your young people who are experiencing growing pains. As you grow, things begin to stretch. Things begin to take place. And if you're not growing, if you're simply maintaining, then I would challenge you that perhaps you're dying. God wants to speak life into his children. He wants us to to advance and to move forward. Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, we find an interesting story or, or a challenge or I believe a holy call for God's people to stretch themselves. Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to read this to you briefly. Another time, he, being Jesus, went into the synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, and so they watched to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stretch out your hand. The Bible says he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. What a fascinating story. And I believe that there's much more than meets the eye when you read this story. I think a lot of emotion was taking place in this man because this man had a decision to make. Either he could risk complete and total embarrassment because of his disfigured hand that he had kept hidden most of his life. Or he could trust this good man named Jesus to heal him completely. Should he keep what caused him the most trouble hidden or should he expose the issue? And I have this thought just like I did in that dark back alley that night. If you continue to do the things you've always done, you will always get the results that you've always gotten. And I wonder if that thought crossed that young man's mind. 
Should I attempt to change a flat tire? Never done it before. What if I break the jack? What if I break the car? And thoughts of, my wife is going to kill me. Ran through my mind. Should I, uh, should I invite my neighbor to life group? Or what would they think of me if they really knew I love God? Should I ask my friend, the same friend that I see in the hallways of my school, who seems depressed and they're upset, their parents are divorcing, and there's so many issues and so many problems and so many troubles going through life. Should I, should I invite them to youth group? Or what would they think of me if they knew I love Jesus? You see, if you do the things that you've always done, you'll always get the results you've always If you don't have the guts as a Christ follower to take inner inventory and remove the things that keep your walk with Christ from growing, watch out because God might remove you from your place of authority. As a believer, God has given you authority. You may not feel like it. You may not see it. You may not understand it. But the truth is, God has given you authority to rise up above this culture, above this world, to make godly decisions and godly choices. And it's up to you and I to walk into that, to take hold of that, to be courageous enough to live a life that is above the rest. And what we must understand is is that God has given us that authority. We are to walk into it. Let's take a peek at 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 13. You don't have to turn there. Let me just read it to you. 1 Samuel 13, 13. Samuel said to Saul, that Saul was the king. He says, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. This last verse haunts me. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. Do you know that we all have kingdoms? We all have kingdoms, whether that's uh, packaged in your family, whether it's packaged by your work, whether it's packaged by the network of associations and friends that you may have. We all have a kingdom. And here Samuel is telling Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord. Therefore, God would have established your kingdom, but now your kingdom shall not continue. May God never say that about me. May God never say, I would have established great influence and authority amongst your kingdom. But now it will not continue. You see, listen, when we accept Christ into our life, we step into a position of authority. And God removes the external barriers in our life. God gives us his anointing. He gives us a position. And he gives us the potential to become a great leader, a great influencer, a great child of God. We need to understand that even though the external barriers are removed, there are internal barriers or roadblocks that remain. This is so God can begin to deal with you 
to help you become more and more and more and more and more like him. These are the character issues that we've got to deal with on a daily basis. We must allow God the freedom to remove them one by one. I want to take a look real briefly at a few of the shriveled hands that were in Saul's life. Number one was fear. Saul lived in fear. Saul was people-driven rather than principle-driven. He was concerned about what this person might think and what this person might say. He was concerned about what this, how this person might feel based off of decisions that he might make. He was, he was uh, incarcerated by fear. It was a character deficiency because when God calls you out, when God calls you to be a leader, you don't operate in fear any longer. You operate in this intense freedom that he's given you to accomplish what he's asking you to do. And Saul operated in fear. He also operated in impatience. He was impatient. Saul was very good at taking matters into his own hands. We understand that Samuel had asked him to wait seven days before he made a sacrifice, but Saul just couldn't wait any longer. He was impatient. Sometimes God will give you a vision. God will give you a dream. God will show you something that he wants to do in your life. And we get so excited and we run and we go tell our pastor or we run and we go tell our family and our friends. But the truth is God wants to keep that hidden inside of you. God will bring that out in his timing. God will flesh that out in his way. I can remember uh, back in college, I remember one night we were just having an incredible time of worship and a, a service. I found myself on my face in the altar just praying and asking God, Lord, show me what my future looks like. Show me what you want me to do. How can I be used by you? What, what could you possibly do through me? And I remember him showing me this vision of me speaking. And all I could see were just faces all over the place. Just everywhere I looked, just face, 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 face. As far as I could see, I remember that very clearly. Ten years later, I was in Peru on a mission trip. I had an incredible week of ministry, incredible week of outreach. And the very last day, we were, we were actually going to be doing a, 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 an outreach for, for the entire city that we, were, that we had been working in there. And, and basically, it was the same day that we were going to be leaving. And so... All of the, the ministers of the city were going to be establishing this and running this. And our team was responsible basically to come in, do the service, and then leave. And, and when we parked the bus, we parked behind the big stage. They had barricaded off, off a road. And, and we drove in behind this staging. So we couldn't see what was taking place in front of us. And the, the, the plan was to park immediately to go on stage do what we're supposed to. And I had been asked to speak. And so all afternoon, matter of fact, I had been asked to speak that afternoon. I didn't have any notes, didn't really know what I was going to share, but I just began to pray. That afternoon, I prayed in the Spirit probably for an hour and a half, just asking God to speak through me, to develop something for me, something for these people. So we parked the bus, and, and, and we get off, and I, I remember walking up the staging platform, still couldn't see what was taking place. And as soon as I rounded the corner, all I saw were faces as far as I could see. And in that moment, the Lord reminded me of the vision that he had given me 10 years earlier. And I was filled with emotion. And the Lord spoke to me and he said this, I am faithful. The problem is, is 
in our leadership, in our ability, and in our desire to step out and to do great things, oftentimes we get impatient with what God has given us. Be patient. God will unfold whatever He's given you in His time. Some of you are waiting for a child to return to the Lord, and you're doing everything you can. You're trying to share with them. You're trying to talk to them. You're trying to coax them and persuade them. Let me tell you something. God will bring them back to you in His time. Be patient. Let God work in their life. Another character flaw that we see in Saul's life is denial. He denied Samuel's pronouncement of God's rejection on him. So when Samuel said that you are now being removed, Saul denied that. He was living in denial. The the next was he was impulsive. He could not seem to just wait on God. Another was deceit. He was a schemer. Another was jealousy. He was jealous over David. You know, God has put people in our lives to strengthen us and to encourage us. And sometimes they may rub us the wrong way. Sometimes they may challenge us in a way that we don't feel comfortable. But the truth is, is God has put that person in your life to complete you, to make you better, to strengthen you. Husbands and wives understand that God has fused you together to make each other better and sharper and stronger. So you've got to listen to each other. You've got to take advice and apply it to your life. But as long as you're jealous of other people, you will never grow. You will never grow. Another shriveled hand in his life was anger. He was angry about Jonathan and David and their relationship. I believe that cynicism comes with anger, comes right along with anger. And something may happen in our lives, something that we, we have no idea, why did this happen to me? God, what are you doing to me? Are you even there? Are you, do you even see what I'm going through? And all of a sudden, bitterness starts to develop and anger starts to come out. And before we know it, we're cynical. We're cynical towards God. We're cynical towards the church. We're cynical towards other Christians. Let me tell you, Allow God to dig that out of you. When you feel anger, this emotion of anger, anger is okay, but learn how to diffuse it. When you begin to feel that coming in, whether it's anger over your family or a situation, God, understand, is it, is it godly anger or is it resentment or is it cynicism? And give that to God right in that moment. God, I don't know why I'm feeling this way, but I'm feeling this, so I want you to have it. I want you to help me with this. Those are some character or some shriveled hands that we find in the life of Saul. And all of them dealt with his character. And unfortunately, in the life of Saul, he was more concerned with looking good than getting right. And as long as he kept those things hidden, like the young man with the shriveled hand, God was never given the opportunity to heal him. And I believe that Jesus challenges us to stretch out the very thing that hinders our effectiveness as a Christian. And because Saul never grew his ability to lead, God removed him from the throne of Israel. And really, I call it the woulda, coulda, shoulda of leadership. What could have been for Saul? What should have been for Saul? What would have been if only? Could we just commit to each other that by the time that we're old and gray and 
ready to go see Jesus? That our life would not be remembered by a only if. Only if I would have. Only if I could have. Only if I should have. And more importantly, I'd like to pose these questions to you. In your life, what could be? What should be? And what would be if we could stretch out the very thing that hinders our effectiveness? But what if you were able to stretch or grow the unique leadership ability that God has put into you? I believe that this is an act of stewardship. God blesses stewardship. Andy Stanley says it this way, leadership is stewardship and you are accountable. Like the crippled man from the passage that we read, when we ask God to stretch us, we're actually inviting a healing process to take place. Not so much in the physical sense, but definitely in a spiritual sense, because completion can take place. God's desire for you and for me is to become complete in Him. And when we make ourselves available to him, our obedience intersects with his faithfulness. And it is that intersection that God is at work. Don't underestimate your potential as a believer. The Bible tells us that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. You've got powerful potential packed inside of you. Let it be unleashed today. God has given us each an ability to lead. But it's what we do with that ability that always determines our effectiveness as a leader and as a Christ follower. So let's quickly take a look at the life of Jesus, who I believe was the greatest leader on earth. He had many incredible leadership qualities. I want to focus on a few transferable qualities that we can apply to our life that will help us stretch our ability to lead. Number one is vision. Jesus had a compelling vision and he was decisive and clear about why he was on earth to seek and save that which is lost. That was it. He didn't come. He was very clear. He says, I did not come for the healthy. I came for the sick. And did you know that Jesus didn't operate in his own vision? He operated in the vision of God, the father. That is the only useful Vision And as leaders, we need to learn to distinguish from our vision and God's vision and radically pursue his vision. What happens when our vision doesn't line up with God's vision? Well, you could ask the Pharisees. When God gives you a vision... It's going to take you out of your comfort zone. It's going to require you to step up to the plate. It's going to require you to stretch yourself beyond what's normal. Ask God to give you a vision and learn to walk in that. Your ability to lead others well involves receiving a vision for your life and for your ministry within the church. And then communicating it very clearly And then acting on it very decisively. You see, I think that we can get a vision from God. We can get a vision from God what our family should look like. The hardest part is acting on it decisively. 
Oftentimes we spend so much useless energy trying to initiate something new. When the truth is, is and we're, we're working hard, we're trying to get a business going, or we're, we're trying to do, fulfill this that, we, that we've been, always wanted in life, and, and, and it's just like we're expending useless energy and we're wondering why it's not working, why it's not taking off. Could it be that that isn't God's vision for your life? Oh, but I want it. But when you get in line with what God wants for you, And he begins to open the door and you begin to step into a new authority and you begin to see a new freedom in your life and you begin to see a new success in your life. Then you'll say, this is what I want. I want to be a part of what God wants for me. Challenge yourself to approach life and ministry a little differently. Listen to God and do what he says. A couple of weeks ago, as God was really working this into my life, we had been trying to sell an old washer and dryer on Craigslist, and I'd gotten a couple of calls. Uh, finally started talking to this lady about possibly uh, buying the washer and dryer. She came out, she looked at it, she really liked it. Uh, and then I hadn't heard from her about a week. And I just remember one morning in my prayer time, as God was really working this idea of just get a vision from God and do what he says, I felt like he spoke to me, called the, called the woman back, and... Um, Tell her you'll give the washer and dryer to her for free. And so I thought for just a minute, I was thinking, well, man, I'm trying to sell them for $200. God, that's a new golf club. You know, I, I mean, you know I need a golf club, God. And so I don't know if I can do that, but, 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 I'll, but I'll try. And so I remember I called her back and I said, hey, this is Jesse Watson. And uh, remember that washer and dryer, you know, I was going to sell to you for $250. Well, today we've got a special low deal and I just want to give them to you for free. And she was over, she, her response was incredible. And she followed up her response with, I already bought a washer and dryer. And she's like thinking, you idiot, you know. But you know, it wasn't so much about her receiving the washer and dryer for free. What it was about was me listening to God and simply doing what he's asked me to do. Men, do you have a vision for your family? Do you lead in the church? Do you come on Sundays and Wednesdays and have a place of leadership and you've got a following and you're, you're directing people in the ministry? Do you lead in the workplace? Do you, do you have people working under you? But when you go home, have you given your home leadership over to your wife? God has called you to get a vision for your family. Ask God to give you something fresh. What, what, should, what should be done in the life of, of you and your wife? What should be done in the life of your children? And how should you lead that? Get a vision. Stretch your vision and you'll stretch your ability to lead. Secondly, that we see in Jesus, the transferable leadership principle was his passion. Jesus was full of of passion, and that passion drove him to the cross. What does your passion drive you to? It should drive you to the cross. The cross represents death. It also represents life. It's, it, it's, it's incredible, but the truth is, is it represents the death of your will. Jesus proclaimed it in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's laying there deciding if he should do what God's asked him to do. And he says, God, if there's any other way, 
take this cup from me. Let it be done another way. But what did he say? Nevertheless, not my will. Let your will be done. It is a dying of your will that must take place. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. This is what the passion of the Christ is all about. And I believe teenagers, for some reason, seem to be the greatest catalyst for the passion of of the church today. And I believe that the culture that we live in is marked in general by a response of apathy. We are coming into a time when we are more apathetic than ever before. Well, yeah, that's that's just what they do. You know, if they want to act like that, they can act like that. If they want to live that way, they can live like that. But we can't live apathetic anymore. We can't come into church and be apathetic as a Christ follower. It is imperative that we choose to be passionate about our relationship with Christ. I'll say it again. We must choose to be passionate about our relationship with Christ. Let me tell you, passion is a choice. And if you only pray when you feel like it, hell will never be nervous around you. You've got to be passionate. You've got to make it happen. You've got to go for it. You've got, when worship band opens up, you've got to come to the altar and worship Jesus. And you've got to get excited about what God is doing in this place. Get excited about what God is going to do in your community. Get excited about what God is doing in your life. And when you get excited, other people will get excited. They're going to be attracted to what you have. You know, at 211 degrees, water is hot. But at 212 degrees, water boils. Boiling water produces steam. And we all know that steam can power a locomotive. Let me tell you, it's just one degree difference from 211 to 212. I wasn't good in math, but I got that. 211 to 212, one degree difference. Stretch yourself. The one degree difference is being at home who you claim to be when you're at church. That's the one degree. Be at home who you claim to be at church. Be passionate about the things that God has called you to so that other people can catch that. Start praying for your non-Christian friends on a daily basis. And if you don't have any, go get some. Be passionate. Be passionate. Stretch your passion and you will stretch your ability to lead. Number three, servanthood. Jesus was the chief servant. As a matter of fact, he tells us in Matthew 20, 28, I have not come to be served. Don't serve me. I have come to serve. His focus was on people. Emmanuel means God with us. Not God behind a desk. God in a home. God in the church. Emmanuel is God with 
us get into the lives of other people by serving them and meeting their needs. His priority was to create an atmosphere of serving others everywhere he went. He met needs constantly. He was healing people, providing for people, delivering people. Each was an act of serving. He wasn't concerned about being called rabbi, wasn't concerned about being called savior, didn't want to be called Messiah. He was concerned about meeting the needs of a people. See, when a title takes precedence over serving people, we've missed the heart of God. We've all heard it said before, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Let me tell you this. You are never more like Jesus than when you are meeting the need of people. Our motto as Christians should be this. Find a need and meet it. Find a hurt and heal it. It's that easy. But you've got to be looking for it. You've got to be willing to get down on your knees. You've got to be willing to get dirty with people. You've got to be willing to give of yourself for other people. A lifestyle must be cultivated that is concerned for other people. And I've always found it interesting that if Jesus said that he did not come to be served, yet today 2.1 billion people serve him an example of an excellent leader stretch your willingness to serve and you'll stretch your ability to lead the last one followership jesus followed god the father he did what he was told by the father he took his marching orders from the father and here's what i've learned in my own life when it comes to following jesus i can look a lot like jesus I can act like Jesus. I can walk like Jesus, minus the walking on water part. I can, I can talk like Jesus, and I can do it really good. Matter of fact, I've nearly perfected it. But in reality, those are the things that you can do at a distance because I don't need much prayer to do those things. I don't need much time in my devotional to do those things. I can mimic quite well the image of Christ. I just can But there is one thing that you cannot do from a distance. You can't smell like Jesus from a distance. You only smell like Jesus when you have spent time in his arms. And that's when the aroma of followership propels your ability to lead. And so church, let's be the church that refuses to be like Jesus from a distance. Trust is a must, and it can only happen when we continuously find our arms or ourselves in the arms of Christ. We must continue to ask God for humility. We must continue to lay down pride, which decays effective leadership. When you stretch your ability to follow Jesus closely, you stretch your ability to lead. Remember the man with the shriveled hand? He shows an incredible willingness to trust Jesus. Because in reality, Jesus asked him to do something that was impossible. How can you stretch out a paralyzed hand? You can't. But as the man put forth the effort, God did the rest. There's going to require some effort on your part. 
God will never command you without enabling. And so when you get that vision from God, when you get those marching orders from God, you can rest assured that God has your back. Is there going to be risk involved? Absolutely. Is there going to be trust involved? Absolutely. Will there be adverse, adversity? Absolutely. But if God tells you to do something, step out in that and trust that God will enable you. And this is where we're closing. Listen, there are pages and pages in your journey with Christ that have yet to be written. So let me ask this. How will the story read at the conclusion of your life? What will it read like? Stretch yourself. I want to address you all as leaders. So leaders, you have a responsibility. At some point in your journey as a leader, as a Christ follower, we will all be faced with this question. Can I be stretched? Are you moldable? Or are you rigid? Are you tough? Has, has life just kind of made you tough? Or are you pliable and willing to be used in the hands of God? Obviously, the religious leaders in our passage this morning, they're, they're trying to trap Jesus into healing this man on the Sabbath, which was traditionally a day set aside for rest. However, Jesus understood that the Jewish custom said that not to do good when we have an opportunity was actually to do evil. Not to save a life was to kill or to be guilty of murder. And let me challenge you with this. The ability to do good imposes an obligation to do it. Those who are able to feed the hungry or provide for the less fortunate, or resource in need, and do not do it, you're guilty. You're guilty. In the same way, those of us who are able to lead must also understand the obligation we have to do it in a godly, confident of per- confident way. Understand that the great responsibility... Of all the leaders in this room, the great responsibility that you have to the students of this church. Stretch out a mentoring heart or a mentoring hand to your students. Cover the young people of this church in prayer and the surrounding community, the students of this community in prayer. Make it a daily habit where you're praying for the young people in this church that God would grip their hearts, that God would give them a passion to serve Him, that God would do something great in their generation. I know on the outside they may look tough and they may seem disinterested. They may grunt when you try to hold conversation with them. Man, some of them seem like they're just dead. The truth is, there's still life left in them. There is still life left in them and they need Leaders that are willing to see that life and pull it out of them. So are you available to be stretched by God this morning? What I'd like to to close out is just a time of prayer. This is going to be a very important week in the life of the young people of this church. 
And we need to come together, partner together to see that God does everything that he can. And so we're going to have a time of prayer for this week. I'd like all of the the, the junior high and the high school, if you would come forward and just maybe find a place in these altars, just come quickly. You're the leaders right now. Come on forward. Don't wait for anybody. And then what I'd also like to do is I would like the people of the church, all of you, I would like you to follow in behind them. And as a church together this morning, we are going to agree together. We're going to pray together that God is going to ignite this youth ministry like never before. I've been talking with Pastor Jason. There is a momentum like never before in the hearts of your students. And that is a rare find. Church, you should be excited about what God is going to do. So let's, let's come in. We're going to just begin to lay hands. And I'm going to pray for young people. But before we do, as we're following in, quickly finding a place, I want to give you an opportunity to forever find favor in the life of Jesus Christ. If you're in this place this morning, you've never officially given your life to God, or maybe it's been some time since you've been closely connected to him. You would say, you know what, Jesse, this is a moment that I feel like could be ordained by God because the truth is it is. God wants relationship with you. God wants to resurrect anything dead in your life and, and, and breathe a fresh sense of, of revival into your life. So if you're here this morning, you said, I want to make Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior. I want to spend eternity with him. Can I just see your hand real quickly? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. I respect you so much. Anybody else? Maybe we have five hands, six hands. Anybody else? Six, seven, seven people. How awesome is that? Eight. That's so awesome. This podcast has been a presentation of Faith Assembly, where our mission is to connect people with Christ and to experience life. Thank you for listening this week.